Well, here we go. D. fucking Snyder. It only took 157 episodes to get him, but he is here today, and it's a little surreal to have him on my little show. I remember as a kid seeing his music videos that are obviously legendary, uh, but I also really loved when he stood up to politicians who wanted to censor music in the 80s. And now that censorship is back, uh, I'm glad D is still here to talk about it. And uh, he also has a new record coming out on July 30th called Leave a Scar. And if you're listening to this after July 30th and it's already out, otherwise you can pre-order the deluxe wooden version now. And uh, this was a really fun interview with D uh, because he's such an entertainer. And uh, he's a singer, but he also acts and he does radio. So he knows how to tell stories. And I love his energy. He made me laugh a lot. He's very genuine and real, and I think that's why he's still around today and making music and doing TV appearances and the radio show and all the other stuff that he does because he's so entertaining and he's so genuine and likable. So here it is. Without further ado, my interview with one of my heroes, D. Snyder. Welcome, D. fucking Snyder. I can swear on this. This is great. How are you doing? I'm doing fucking great. (laughs) So we have a mutual connection. Uh, Jim Kaufman. He is your vocal coach, and he was a guest on my show. Wait a minute. Jim Kaufman is my engineer. Is that what you call it? I thought he said he was a vocal coach. I thought that was his. No. Okay. <laughs> Jim Kaufman? Yeah. Jim Kaufman is a recording engineer. recorded my vocals for Leave a Scar. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Maybe I just called it the wrong thing. Sorry. Yeah, but yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. yeah, he, yeah he, 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 I do all my, all my tracks at his house uh, out here on the West Coast. And yeah, we, we do a lot of work together. That's so, yeah. He said that you show up one time and you, and you had your Cobra Kai jacket on. Yes. That is yes. so awesome. I'm, I'm the envy of, of so many walking down the street. Fortunately, I'm big and I'm tough because I'm sure <laughs> if I wasn't, somebody would steal it from me. Is it, the red, um, is it a red one? It's got the, like the logo and everything? No, no. It's, it's, um, it's black. Oh. And it says uh, hit first, whatever. What, what are the, is, strike is, first, strike hard, no mercy. Yeah, okay. on the back, and it's got the Cobra Kai logo on the front, but it's reversible, and oh. it's a Miyagi Miyagi Do jacket on the other side. Oh wow, that's but really Miyagi Do cool. jacket is is first of all it's beige, uh, and the Cobra Kai jacket is black, and um, somehow, in many ways, the Miyagi Do has become almost the bad guy. <laughs> in the Cobra Kai series. Right, yeah. And, which was what I think what is so clever about the show. Yes. It flips the script and you come to understand Johnny Lawrence and see how he is became who he is and a series of unfortunate events, Lemony Snicket. Uh, but he became, you know, that he's not a bad guy and that the power went to, uh, went to what's his name's head, Danny's head. And he became, you know, kind of an asshole. Yeah. You know, so, so if they definitely flip the script. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's right. So that, that's a great tangent to get. I love Cobra Kai. It's a great show, but for you, so your album, your last album uh, for the love of metal, you wanted to end on a high note, but then 2020 happens. So now we got this new record, leave a scar. And, uh, it's produced by, uh, Jamie Josta, who is singer to hate breed, right? Yeah. Yeah. So tell us about, it. I mean, I've, I've heard, a couple of the songs are available now and there's a, uh, you know, silent battles. That one's about depression. The song she is about, uh, that's about your wife. And then yeah. but the, the, the song, I got to rock again. You say in that one, I got to rock. I survived. Be advised. Going to rock till I die. So it sounds like you're never going to retire. 
Well, I had a lot of realization, you know. I'm getting rid of this gum. <laughs> because it's easier to talk not, I can't chew gum and talk at the same time <laughs> I thought um, you would know this working in radio isn't this like I know, a that, yeah I know it's, yeah um, yeah so I really thought that I was retired and then the state of the world uh, you know basically the world shit the bed uh, on every level <laughs> that's a good way to say it yeah and uh, and and I realized that I am one of those voices for the voiceless that over the years I've positioned myself as being that outspoken guy who can say and will say what others won't. And so just because I'm very content and blessed and living happily ever after, after, you know, I've been through a lot of shit, but I gotta say, I'm, I'm in a really good place right now. doesn't mean that everybody is and that people don't need D Snyder to speak up. So I had true inspiration to bring me back to the process and also, I Gotta Rock Again was this odd moment uh, in the middle of COVID where that thought just popped in my head. I Gotta Rock Again. And I chuckled because, A, very D. Snyder title. The guy who brought you bad boys of rock and roll. You can't stop rock and roll. I want to rock. I believe in rock and roll. And on and on and on and on. You know, I Gotta Rock Again. Okay, so and I said, but, and I, I said, but how many people are feeling that exact thought right now? That same, like, oh, my God, you know, we, this is like the second season of festivals that and concerts that have been shut down. The stadium tour has been canceled for another year. Mm -hmm. You know, will all those participants still be alive next year? <laughs> Who knows? But uh, but I just it was a real realization song. And I was speaking not just for myself, but on behalf of others as well. Yeah. So then are you going to tour for off this record? Are you waiting until things settle down with the uh, COVID and stuff? Cause like you said, yeah. this year's festivals are all canceled. So yeah, some. there's some, there's some erratic. You may see a singular show here or there an odd show. I'm doing, matter of fact, I'm doing a live stream event uh, for a live audience uh, tested and vaccinated a thousand strong. Uh, it's going to be on the 29th. And uh, pretty excited. It's the day before the release of the new album, right. playing new music, old music, and uh, my first show in two years. So that's you go to uh, metal metaldepartment.tv metaldepartment.tv. Okay. Uh, and, but I'm sure if you just if you just Google search D live feed 29th, and then if you can't watch the 29th, they will repeat uh, for some time afterwards. But I hope people will check it out if you want to if you want some live and enjoy it. And I'm sure. The audience is going to be very stoked. Yeah, I just uh, I did a show with um something called the Kings of Chaos. It's an all star yeah. thing that Storm does, and we did one in New Mexico, and it was it was joyous. That's the only way I can describe it. The band we the we were just like I can't believe we're back playing, and and the audience, the people who were there because it was limited, it was outdoors, but still people were just so happy to mm -hmm. be rocking. You know, so if you got to rock again, check that out. But okay. as far as touring, I think. I know we'll be back to uh, the new, whether it's a new normal where we're at to get vaccines or whatever, but it'll be behind us by 2022. And I think that's when festivals will open. And, you know, I figure that the non-vaccinated will probably die off. So, uh, you know, one way or another, <laughs> we'll be rocking again. And I'm cool with that. Yeah. Okay. Oh, non-vaccinated people. Hey, it's your choice. I, I support your choice. Well, and that's the, one of the songs, Time to Choose. 
Well, on the new record, and you got uh, George, I love this, Corpse Grinder is his uh, middle name, Fisher of Cannibal Corpse. This is a yeah. cool duet. Like, this is heavy stuff. Yeah. It's, and, and people were stunned. It was, first of all, my idea. He's a, he's a death metal singer. And, yeah. and I didn't realize that nobody from my world, from the heritage rockers, classic, whatever you want to call us, old school, they don't even acknowledge death metal singing. And if they do, it's to mock it. Uh, my peers, you know, make fun of it. That's huh. not singing. That's Cookie Monster. You know, um, I, thanks to my kids, am connected to all the metal communities and appreciate and, and respect all the whole family of metal. And so I had the idea that it would be a, it's a heavy song. Bring them in on it. But Jamie Josta was stunned. When I said George Fisher, he was like, Corpse <laughs> like, like, he's, like, he thought maybe I knew somebody from the 70s named George Fisher. Maybe I had an accountant named George Fisher. Accountant. You want your accountant uh. to sing on those? No, Corpse Grinder. So, yeah, it's very heavy, very aggressive, but I, I, I didn't realize that nobody from my side reaches across the aisle, so to speak. And I'm glad I did because I had somebody the other day said, you know, I'm not a fan of that thing kind of singing. But it's kind of cool on your song, you know, like, so, hey, you know, there's, a, there's, a, there's room for all of us in this world. No, know? for yeah, for sure. Do you ever feel kind of like Santa Claus, like reaching out to these guys and saying, hey, you want to sing on my record? I mean, it must be surreal for I mean, it's surreal for me talking to you right now. Like, do you feel, ever feel like that, that you're just bringing people so much joy? That's got to be one of the best things about your fame. Apparently, I am Santa Claus. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, you, you go back to me reaching out to Lizzie Hale to do that duet with me on the Christmas song. And she was stunned. I mean, her yeah. I, I I'd hung out. I I've seen, I'd hung out with her parents at one of her shows. And I know that she was raised on, on the old school stuff, but she like, was like, there's this degree of shock. Um, George, apparently George corpse grinder, corpse grinder got emotional. Apparently like he couldn't, he's a, it turns out he's a fan. Of course. And, and, and he was stunned. He couldn't believe. That's what so, I'm saying. You know, so I, I think we need more of that. Yeah. More of more of that community, more of that sense of family in the and less of this. That's not metal. This is metal. That's black metal. This is the hair metal. That's pop metal. This is death metal. It's it's, it's dysfunctional family. And yes, some of the uncles <laughs> yeah. are a little weird, but it's still blood. We all come from the same bloodline. Absolutely. Yeah. So your story is, I mean, we don't have time to go over your whole life story and people should read your book, but I do find you it fascinating. You actually have more time than you think. Ooh. Uh, okay. To the bottom of the hour. Yeah. Because I, I, the bottom of the hour or the half hour? Bottom of the, ha bottom of the half. Okay. A half hour. Yeah. Okay. That's not, what I thought. The top yeah. of the hour, bottom of the half hour. Yeah. I heard you say that they give you these 10 minute breaks and you're like, I don't need a fucking break. And I was like, that's cool. Yeah, well, I don't know that they want me to take a nap. I sit here at the computer like, <laughs> oh, fixing my lipstick. What am I doing? It's so important that I yeah. can't roll into the next one. So back in the early days, you're working at this loading dock and you tell everyone I'm going to be a rock star. And then you joined Twisted Sister, but it was like you were kind of cocky. But then you said when you joined Twisted Sister, you felt like the outcast, like they were the cool kids and you weren't cool. How does that work? Yeah. How that works is, yeah, first of all, that's, I don't know if telling the world you're going to be a rock star when you're not even close <laughs> is, is great self-motivation yeah. or like the stupidest thing you could do in the world. Because I, I literally like, because the guys I was on the loading dock were, like, were planning like a career in working in the department store. And I was like, I'm going to be a rock star. So that became A, my nickname, B, the right there, you would hear this. Uh, rock star to aisle three. Some kid threw up. 
Like I would get, I like, like I became a joke as the rock star. That was my nickname. Yeah. But I, I showed them. Yeah, for um, sure. When I joined Twisted Sister. Yeah. I mean, I, I approached them and I was like, like you need me. And when, and, and, and when they, I got in the band, I was like full of like, like piss and vinegar, but I was full of myself. But then quickly I realized that I was like the low man on the totem pole, that the band, the guys that were there were older than me. They were longtime friends. They grew up together and stuff. They were from the city, from the Bronx, from Manhattan. I was from Long Island and, and I was a dork. And they were like these cool guys. And suddenly I got like demoted and it was, it was real tough. Like to sort of like, you know, pick me up, pick myself up by my own bootstrap, so to speak. And like, like say, I'm not going to allow that to decide, define who I am because they think they're cooler than me. And you know what? A, I was a dork. <laughs> they were cool. B, they were cooler than me. <laughs> and, uh, but I, but I didn't let that be stop me from, you know, taking over the entire band and uh, and controlling everything. <laughs> well, yeah, and then obviously everyone knows the success Twisted Sisters had. I mean, that's uh, you know the the music videos, the the albums, the concerts. It's it's legendary. But then the fascinating part to me is that so when the band, you know, they break up the first time. Was there any? I know that you went through some troubles. Was there any other like musical projects? on the horizon. Like it kind of reminds me of like when Mark Hamill had that gap from star Wars into like, now he does voiceover work and stuff. Like I always think, wasn't there somebody reaching out to him wanting to do movies and TV? Was there any other musical people that reached out and said, Hey, do you want to get another band together? Well, after twisted, I formed Desperado and mm -hmm. Desperado got uh, had, was a, there's a bidding war. This was uh 80, six 80, 87 87 okay uh, and so there's a bidding war and it was big money and this was going to be like you know the, I, the drummer that was original drummer for iron maiden clyde burr rest in peace bernie torme who was the first That's right uh, to yeah. replace uh randy rose and ozzy's band rest in peace they're dropping like fries i tell you um anyway uh and uh so it was a big deal but then that record got shelved in a, in a political battle within the record company. Mm. I moved on to Widowmaker. Widowmaker, now I was doing, getting indie deals. And there's no real money in them, but I do a couple Widowmaker albums, and they fail. Then I get the notice one day. It was delivered by a messenger. It said, we're not doing what you're doing anymore. Uh, we don't sing like you, write songs like you, perform like you. We don't look like you. Uh, nobody is interested in what you do. That's practically was an announcement when grunge hit. And um, so that's when I stopped writing. Uh, that's when I started looking to pursue other avenues, but then none of them came after me. Uh, other than I did get an, an agent who liked hearing my voice on Howard Stern and said, you could do voiceover. So I started to pursue that. Um, and didn't Howard I, Stern help recognize your voice talent and encourage you to do the career in radio? He, he yeah, he championed me in such a big way. Uh, he was so there. He was the first person to recognize that I had value outside of Twisted. And when I, uh, I always, you know, people heard me on the radio said, you'll be great in radio. But I found out you couldn't just go get a big radio show. You had to start at the bottom. And 25 years ago, I started with like a heavy metal show on Sunday nights, 10 to midnight on a little station on Long Island. But now I've been doing radio for 25 years. 
So people didn't pursue me. I had to go after them and always, always had to prove myself. It's since yeah. people have always doubted that I, they, that I had a song called prove me wrong. Cause nobody's want to believe that I could do radio, could do TV. I could act. I could do movies. I could write screenplays. I could write books. I'm always having to prove myself, but I guess that's just my lot. Yeah. So at what point, like after the, you declared bankruptcy and the band broke up and you were on your, that was like your lowest point. At what point do you feel like, okay, I'm back. Like maybe not necessarily twisted sister back, but like, I'm back. I'm doing good things. I, you know, the radio shows, because I think at first you started the radio was like at 10 to midnight or something and you had to take the shit shift. And then obviously you grow all that stuff into successful things. Yeah. It, you know, it, it started, um, the voiceover career started to kick in and then the radio career. I got a syndicated show house of hair, which has been on 25 years now. Mm -hmm. Uh, but then all of a sudden I got a morning radio gig in a major market. Oh. And suddenly I'm the voice of MSNBC and I'm not doing music, but I'm making huge money doing radio and voiceover work. And I'm back, baby. I'm yeah. Back. I've got, you know, Oh, and then Celine Dion records my wife's Christmas song. Oh, that's good. And, and, and that sells, you know, well, it's at 14 million copies worldwide now. This is the house St. Celine built, by the way. Um, <laughs> so, you know, don't ever speak ill of Celine Dion in my presence. So all of a sudden, all these other avenues that I've been pushing and I make it strange land gets made. And, uh, you know, so and then, uh, they, yeah, you're so back, I, baby. I, I'm back. Doing so, everything else. Right. So then I like this, that you you advise all these bands in the 90s, like Lit and Biohazard and Guster, you know, to parlay things. Do, don't just stick to music. Do, you know, parlay that success into other things. And also, didn't you uh, kind of help advise Skid Row to go heavier on their second album with Slave to the Grind instead of going a popular direction? Yeah, I did. Um, not that I, you know, I just, I had made the big mistake with Twisted of coming out with a lead track that was poppier and not realizing that the core audience of Twisted Sister, now that we had crossed over and become a commercial success, the core audience was questioning our credibility. And we should have come back like a sledgehammer. Instead, I came out with leader of the pack and I tried to go and appeal you know, to, to everybody. And that was a mistake. So I was friends and become friends with the Skid Row guys and I was counseling them. And I said, your last single was, I remember you amazing record, but it was a ballad. I said, and right now, whether you know it or not, your fans are going, are they still metal? I said, you got to come out hard. And they came out with slave to the grind followed by monkey business and had a hugely successful record and secured their position until, you know, Sebastian, and they broke up, uh, but Sebastian left. But same time, uh, that was sage advice. I, 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 you know, I, I mean, nobody ever gave Twisted a hand up, and I didn't want to be hmm. those guys. There are a lot of people have the feeling, hey, I paid my dues, so you pay your dues. You know, stumble around in the dark like an asshole for a while. No, you know, if you if you if you can give somebody a piece of advice that'll guide them, help them, lift them up, it's kind of my mo. Yeah, that's really cool. Do you think that you talk about counseling Skid Row? Do you think you could mediate some sort of reunion with Sebastian and them? You're friends with all those guys, right? I was wondering about that because I, it, I realized, I remembered that I kind of counseled them through the making of the second record that Sebastian was already getting a little, and I'm friends with both, uh, both sides. Yeah. But Sebastian was a little difficult. I remember he was at my house 
and um, staying with me. And he wouldn't answer the phone. Uh, he would only respond to faxes. Hmm. So the band would have to, first of all, they didn't know where he was. So I have to find out where he was in order to get him a fax. And then they'd have to fax him a message that he'd respond to. Otherwise he wouldn't, he wouldn't talk to him. And so I try to, I like, dude, that's not going to work. You know, yeah. <laughs> you got to talk to your band. And, and I, so I, I kind of counseled both sides and helped them get there. They thanked me in the credits. Aww. Um, they, so, um, uh, but yeah, but unfortunately that didn't last forever. I mean, I, yeah. I love Sebastian and we're really good friends. I'm probably closer with him than the rest of the rest of the band, but uh, still, you know, we're, we're lead singers. We're front men. We're damaged. And, uh, we, <laughs> we can be difficult. I love that. Well, you've had some infamous feuds over the years. I just saw, read something the other day about the feud with Crocus, Mr. Mr. Paul Stanley, uh, JJ told me last week uh, there was a feud with Tom Fer- uh, Werman. So how do you handle those kinds of things at this point in your career? Like, do you try and reach out and squash those things? Do you just let it go and not think about it? Or do you still hold a grudge and use that to motivate you? I use my platform to speak of them and then I dead them. <laughs> <laughs> so wow. I can't respond. I can't respond. That is so a great answer. I, I talk and I get and I get all this press. D. Snyder says, blah, blah, blah. and then they try to say, "Well, D. Snyder," and I just no, I have no reaction. I don't retweet it. I don't acknowledge it. I pretend it doesn't happen. I mute it, and uh, and then I and they and they, they they get no. I don't give them any more juice than that because for a lot of them, it's <clears throat> it's become their claim to fame. Hmm. It's all they got is, is that D Snyder said something like, you know, because their careers are like in the shitter. So, uh, you know, Mr. Mr. Who's the hooster? <laughs> like what the fuck is that? Uh, that was a band. Yeah. That was actually a band. <laughs> oh, this is gold, man. This is great stuff. So you had a feud with JJ and then you guys, you squashed it and he, he's going to write about it in the book. I haven't read the book. It's not out yet. Um, but you said you went on record as saying you weren't a nice guy in the eighties. You were kind of narcissistic. So what changed? Like, was it, you, were you humbled after the band broke up and everything ended or excuse me? When did I ever say I'm only kind of narcissistic? (laughs) I never used that adjective to to qualify it. I'm sorry. You were totally narcissistic, totally narcissistic, total asshole. I, I was, I, I made people miserable and I, and I realize it. And, retrospectively i feel terrible about it you know because the people who you know my band my wife my family members i mean people who love me the most and were there for me the most and i made them miserable in the 80s i was a dick but i feel better now and i've tried to make amends like an alcoholic and i think i have my wife uh my wife's still with me and forgives me she says uh the encore is great. <laughs> she said the encore is great. Um, well, that's amazing. She stuck dicey. with you during those tough times. Unbelievable. I mean, I nearly fucked it up a bunch of times. And, and that's the thing that's amazing about having a person like Suzette in your life is, you know, I met her when I was nothing. Um, th- she was with me yeah. uh, and supported, you know, costumes, makeup, hair, the bone logo. I just pointed the originals on the wall over there. Love that logo. Um, yeah. And um, all Suzette. And then I just turned into a complete asshole and made her life miserable. And we went through tough times, but somehow we made it together. Then I lost everything. And I didn't, just to show you, I didn't think for a second that she would leave me. And there was never a thought in her mind. She just went back to work in a, in a, 
in a salon. She'd never worked in a salon before, but she did hair. So she said, okay, I can work and while we figure this out. And so she's just always been there for me through thick and thin. And, uh, and you've been there too. You didn't, you didn't leave her when you got famous or anything. No, I mean, you know, and, and I made there's a handful of very wise decisions I made. And one was you find the one. And even though, you know, it precluded me from, from partaking in some of the joys of rock stardom, <laughs> uh, you, you know, I, I may have given that up, but as a result, I've got a 45 year relationship, a person who I trust and who's by my side through it all, you know, and during the, as somebody was asking me before, you know, it was a time where I was just flat broke. And like I said, nobody's buying what I'm selling. I'm starting over completely and I'm married. I got three kids, but I had created such an oasis that as terrible as things were in my business life, I'd come home and it was just nothing but joy in our rented house with these kids and this wife, who, these people who love me. So these were wise choices I made. Thankfully, because I made some bad ones, too. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, uh, I mean, you've done so much movie and TV work, too. The cameos. I love this. Like Howard Stern movie, Pee Wee's Big Adventure, Cobra Kai. Is there one that's your favorite? Is there one that sticks out to you as one of your favorites? I Well, Cobra Kai. I mean, that I was mean, awesome. It, I mean, it'll be on my tombstone. Here lies D. Snyder the most badass rocker ever, Johnny Lawrence. Okay, so, I mean, to be proclaimed that. That's pretty cool. On a show that had 75 million people view it so far around the world. I mean, it was a proc- it was a- unbelievable. And I just spoke in front of 97th graders about censorship. But I was Ooh. there because they knew me from Cobra Kai. That is awesome. You know? Yeah. And, like, all of a sudden, there's this renewed, I, I have these, I, it's like a calling card with a whole new generation. And, and, and the show happened, I think I told you, or maybe I didn't because I've been doing so many interviews and a lot of people asked me about this, that literally I, I became friends with Johnny, with Johnny Long, with, with Billy Zabka yeah. doing conventions. And the show wasn't even big. Uh, he told me, hey, we got picked up by Netflix. They're going to release the series. Like, great. You want to do a cameo on the new? I'm like, hey, yeah, man, cool. And I know Ralph. So it was just like, hey, this is fun. You know? Yeah. I, I don't tell don't tell Ralph or Billy I'd never seen an episode. Really? Until, I, oh. until I, I was on the show, I said, All right, I'm talking to Billy and he's assuming I, when I got there, I didn't know who Miguel was. I didn't know what he was doing to get in a wheelchair. What the F? You know? <laughs> I was like, what kind of show is this? <laughs> and uh no, it's and, a great uh, show. So I said, I said, honey, we gotta binge watch this thing before they air because, because I, I don't have the heart to tell anybody that I've never seen the show. But it was just Billy's a friend and Ralph yeah. is a friend. They're like, hey, wanna be on this? Great, cool. That's awesome. So yeah, you said uh you spoke about censorship. So that we gotta talk about that because that's like I was like a little kid and I saw you speaking in front of the the uh, politicians and I was like, that is fucking awesome. So it's, I feel like it's come back full circle now. It's like censorship is a thing now. I was like, didn't we settle this in the eighties with D Snyder? Why is stuff being canceled? Explain this on this note. We're going to have to end the, the interview, but oh, okay. Uh, but no, no, because I, I, I got to move on. But sure. Sure. Oh, sorry. We yeah. have, we know we have time. I told you at the bottom of the hours, so we have a few minutes. So um, censorship has always existed. Yeah. Just people got to understand that. It's never gone away. It's just the, the first time somebody said or did something, somebody else said, you can't do that. <laughs> okay, trust me. There's always, and it goes, and throughout time, creatives, artists, people have pushed back on censorship 
and try to push the boundaries. And the people who were behind censorship used to be very puritanical. They like would give an inch and they they give and they'd be you can't go here. And then the creatives kept pushing, kept pushing, kept pushing. And that's our job is the creatives is to push and the censors, their job apparently is to push back and they keep drawing lines and we keep stepping over the line. It goes on and on and on and on. The odd thing is the censorship never went away. The pendulum has swung and it's gone from being a right wing conservative puritanical thing right. to a liberal hypersensitive, uh, you know, kind of social justice, world, yeah. social, social consciousness. And, and not that I'm not, but and like you can't say that because that hurts a feeling uh, this. This makes people feel, you know, feel put upon. And this is insulting. It's it's coming very much from the left now, which is very mm-hmm. odd. Mm-hmm. And in the writing process for this new album, and I hadn't written since it, 95, I caught myself and checked myself going, oh, I don't know. Can I say that? And I'm and my the louder D Snyder voice said, "Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> you're the guy. You're gonna. Are, yeah. Can you say that? Like, Don't you remember? Yeah, you fought for this, right? You know, like, but I, but I, I, and I hated that. That it's crept in. That we're questioning. Like, are we hurting feelings all over the place? And it's become. Oh my god! In an effort to be kinder and gentler, we've become just, just. Ugh. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so it's it's never went away. The odd change is that it's become, like I said, a more coming more from the, the left than it is from the right now. Right. OK, well, I'll let you go. Just one le- quick last thing. Is there a charity that you want to give a shout out to here at the end? I know you work with homeless vet- veterans. Yeah, you know, I, I'm, I've been trying to give back because I got a lot to make up for from the 80s. So uh, <laughs> so I, I saw on Family Feud, we won twenty five thousand dollars. Yeah. Family for uh, the National Coalition for Homeless Vets. Okay. The idea that there are veterans on the street. I mean, when Ugh. my dad came home from war, there was the GI Bill, uh, which helped him get a house, and there was they gave college educations. Mm-hmm. I don't, don't understand how we can have veterans on the street. So there's that. There's also a, um, a charity that I've been involved with. It's a very small charity called Melissa's Wish. Uh, uh, a girl right. I knew died of cancer and her dying bed. She told her parents, if you do anything in my memory, do it for the caregivers because they are the ones left holding what's left of their lives. He says to see people, the caregivers economically dis- destroyed because of the sicknesses their family members have gone through, low losing their jobs, their homes, uh, they not- and a loved one on top of it all. They have suffered through a year or two of just brutal, slow deaths, and then the then the their, the loved one moves on, and then they have to pick up the pieces. Right. I never even thought about that until Melissa Blackford said those said that to us, and we formed the charity called Melissa's Wish, and okay. we raise money to help the caregivers get back on their feet after losing everything. Right. Okay. I'll put all that stuff in the notes along with your new album out uh, July 30th, leave a scar. They can, people can pre-order it now in that wooden box. It's really cool. The deluxe yeah. set. All right. Yeah. 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 We got some great, great incentives and, and check out the live stream on the 29th at metal department.tv real rock and roll live and in your face. Okay. Thanks D. I really appreciate it. Great talking to you, man. All right. Take see care. you later. Bye-bye. Right, bye. D Snyder. I keep saying it and I still can't believe it, but 
D. Snyder of Twisted Sister has been on my show, and I'm very grateful that he, he did come on the show. I loved all his stories and his opinions. And again, I think he's just so real and genuine, and I think that's at least part of the reason he's so popular. Uh, make sure to check out his latest record, Leave a Scar. And again, depending on when you're listening to this, it's either out now or it will be out soon, and you can pre-order the Deluxe Wooden Box Edition, which is really cool. Um, and I put the links to his website and his live stream in the show notes along with the charities he mentioned and my website. Uh, so check out some of the episodes I've done. If you want to hear more about Twisted Sister, check out my interview with JJ French. Uh, we talked about Skid Row in this episode. So if you want to hear my interview with uh, Rachel Bolin, you can check that out. I've also interviewed Stephen Piercy from Rat, John Karabi, and many, many more. So if you want to support the show, your activity on social media and YouTube with your likes, comments, and shares, it helps me out quite a bit. And if you want to go that extra mile, you can write, write me a review wherever you listen. So thank you so much to D for coming on the show. Thank you all for listening. I hope you have a great rest of your day and remember to shoot for the moon. 